John chapter 4, beginning in verse 3, talking about Jesus, it says, He left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water, that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband, and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that saidest thou truly. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. As I said a moment ago, we've been studying faith over the last several weeks. And an outgrowth of faith is faithfulness. If we have faith in God and we're trusting God, we're going to end up, if we will, being faithful to God. And so this morning we're just making this segue from faith to faithfulness and faithfulness in our worship. As I said last week, I mentioned worship, and it's been on my heart recently. You know, it's real easy to get into a habit. And it's real easy to get into a worship service that is a habit. I'm appreciative of Brother Rick this morning who changed things up. We don't pray enough in here sometimes in a worship service, so I'm glad we added some prayers this morning, and there's some other things that I would like to see us do. Nothing weird, nothing wild, nothing out of the ordinary, but I just want us to have a worship service that is completely directed by God's Holy Spirit, folks. Amen. That's the kind I think is pleasing to God. And so I'm constantly concerned about our worship. I constantly want our worship to be, as I said, spirit controlled and pleasing to God. And what I desire for our worship services is when someone comes here and visits with us when they go out those doors, they'll have had a little taste of heaven on a Sunday morning as they came in and worshiped together with us. To learn to worship God as He desires 
is the believer's ultimate privilege. Do we think of worshiping God as a privilege? We may think of it as a duty, but folks, it's a privilege to be able to worship the living God. Amen. It is our greatest duty. We should worship God. God desires our worship, but it is also our greatest need. Do you realize that we were created by God with a desire to worship? God has put something in us that causes us to want to worship him. Now listen, if someone doesn't worship God, they'll find something else to worship. And we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. But we just are created beings with a desire to worship. Why is it so important to learn to worship God properly? Because whatever you worship, whatever I worship, we will become like that thing that we worship. Listen to what the 115th Psalm says about that beginning in verse 4. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. And then it says this in verse 8. They that make them are like unto them, so is everyone that trusteth in them. First of all, man creates the idol, and then the idol molds the man. And so if you worship money, you'll become that way, if that's your idol. If you worship something else, that is what you will be like. So we become like the thing that we worship. Now listen, if we will worship the Lord, if we will worship Jesus Christ, we're changed from glory to glory into his image. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. We become like what we worship. And true biblical worship will make us like the one that we're worshiping. Dr. Adrian Rogers said this, quote, The problem with the modern church today is that we've forgotten how to worship, unquote. And you know, I think he's right. Some today say, if you want to build a great church, if you want to build a big church, here's what you have to do. You have to talk to people about their needs. You have to talk to people about what they like. You have to give people what they like. You have to give people what they want in order to build a great church, a church of great numbers. Now what they're talking about is the psychological needs of people. They're talking about the emotional and the physical needs of people. But they're forgetting about this greatest need of people and that is the spiritual needs of people. Amen. And so we have churches that are little more than entertainment centers today because they're trying to give people the things that they want. And much of the worship in America today is designed to please man and not to please God. I said, I want us to have a worship service that God puts his stamp of approval on, that God says, I am well pleased with that. You know, Paul told the Philippians at one point that their offerings were to be a good odor, a sweet-smelling savor unto God. And that's what our worship to God is to be. Somebody said this, in America today, instead of theology, we've gone from theology to meology. Rather than worshiping God, we turned ourselves and our eyes and our hearts and our thoughts inward. And we want to please ourselves. We're looking at what we want. 
Do you know how to be miserable? I'm going to tell you how to be miserable this morning. Focus your life on yourself and no one else. You will learn to become miserable in a hurry. Mark chapter 8, listen to what Jesus said beginning in verse 35. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake in the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? The word soul there has the idea of the entire makeup, the individual, mind, body, and spirit. It's talking about your life. What is your life worth to you? As a child of God, let me ask it this way. What is the value of your life lived for Christ to you? In other words, how much are you willing to sell out for? Would you give up serving God? Would you give up living for Christ for all the money in the world? To maybe be a Bill Gates, to maybe be someone like that and just have great sums of money and say, I'll quit serving God, I'll quit worshiping Him if I can just be rich. That's what Jesus is asking. How important is your relationship to God through Jesus Christ? How important is it to you? If you focus on yourself, you'll be miserable. But if you will focus, if you want to be filled with joy in your life, focus on God and focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 4 of our text. I love this verse because of what it says. And it's very simple. Talking about Jesus, it says he must needs go through Samaria. He needed to go through Samaria. This was not a geographical need. Now he's going, if you understand the layout of the nation of Israel in that time, you had the Galilee region, you had the region of Samaria, then you had the region of Judea. And Jesus is down in Judea and he's wanting to go up to Galilee. Well, how would you go to Galilee? Well, you'd go straight through Samaria. Except that the real devout Jews would not go through Samaria. Why? What were the Samaritans? They were half-breeds. They were the remains of a conquered people, the ten northern tribes. They had intermarried with other groups and so the real devout Jews saw them as unclean. And so if they needed to go from Judea to Galilee, they would cross the Jordan River, go up on the east side of the Jordan River to where Galilee was, cross back over the river. And Jesus could have gone that way. It's not a geographical need that Jesus has that he needs to go through Samaria. It is a spiritual need because I believe with all of my heart that Jesus, because he is God, knew that he would meet that woman, that Samaritan woman there at Jacob's well. On that day, he knew what her spiritual needs were and he knew that she was a miserable woman. Now, by our terms today, we would say that she was not a nice woman. Okay? In fact, by our terms today, we would probably call her a harlot. And that's being nice. She was miserable. She had never truly learned to worship. We're going to see that in just a moment. But this woman had been blinded by Satan. She was self-centered. You can see that as Jesus talks about her life. She was a slave to sin. She had gone from husband to husband to husband. And now the man that she's living with is not her husband. She's living like so many people today live. Purely for the gratification of the flesh. And she was seeking satisfaction in the things of this world. Maybe if I go to enough men, I can be satisfied. Maybe if I do this or that, I can be satisfied. She was blinded by Satan. But not only was she blinded by Satan, she was broken by sorrow. Life has its thrills, I know that. But it has no joy apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Somebody said it this way, and I've always liked this. Satan always pays off in counterfeit bills, folks. 
He may promise you great riches and promise you the world, but he'll always pay off in counterfeit money. Proverbs chapter 20 verse 17 says, Bread of deceit is sweet to a man, but afterwards his mouth shall be filled with gravel. I thought about that verse. I was thinking not long ago, my wife likes to fatten me up. I don't know why, but she wanted, one time we were heading home from church, she said, do you want some ice cream? Well, now who's going to turn down ice cream, right? Sure. And we went by this one place and ordered ice cream, and it was sweet in my mouth, but as it began to melt in my mouth, it was gritty. I don't know what was wrong with their mix or whatever, but it was just sort of a gritty feel to it, and we haven't gotten ice cream for there anymore. But that's what he's saying. The bread of deceit is sweet, but in the end your mouth's going to be filled with gravel. This woman was blinded by Satan. She was broken by sorrow, and she was bound by sin. She was religious. She knew where to worship. But see, what had happened, her religious had never helped her. She had some ideas about worship, but they weren't from God. And so she's trying to do things as best she can. In other words, she's like so many today, she had a form of godliness. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5. But that form of godliness had absolutely no power in it. And you know, that's what's happening in America and in the world today. There are so many professed Christians that have a form of godliness, but there's no power in their lives. And the reason there's no power in their lives, it is a mere form of godliness. And that's why Jesus is going to teach her and to teach us about true worship. I said God made us primarily to know him, to worship him, and to fellowship with him. I love 1 John chapter 1 verse 7. The first time I noticed this about this verse, I think Johnny was asleep. I woke her up in the middle of the night. I said, listen to this. Listen to this. Now 1 John 1 7 says this. If we walk in the light as he, and that he is God right there. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, then it says this, we have fellowship one with another. And that's not me and you fellowshipping. That's me fellowshipping with God and God fellowshipping back with me. We have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Now here's what's so exciting about this. Sure, I want to fellowship with God. I want to fellowship with the creator of the universe. But the creator of the universe wants to fellowship with me? Little old me? I mean, I had never had a phone call even so much from my city councilman asking my advice on anything or how I want to vote on anything. I'm a nobody. I'm nothing. I'm just a speck out of almost eight billion people in this world. I'm one person. And the God of heaven, the God who created all of this, the almighty God, the all-powerful God wants to fellowship with me and he wants to fellowship with you. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? It ought to say, I, you know, I've told people this for years now and they've had the same reaction most of you have. Oh, okay, that's good. <laughs> I get excited about it. I mean, just think, God wanting to fellowship with us. God created mankind for his enjoyment. God created mankind for his pleasure. And until we fulfill that purpose, we will never know true fulfillment. Amen. Until we know that purpose, we'll be like a, you can take a fish out of the water and put him in a tree. You know what? He's an unhappy fish. Amen. You can take a bird out of that tree and put him in the water. He's an unhappy bird. 
But when that fish is in the water, when that bird is in the tree, they are fulfilling their purpose and they are happy. And the person who is made for God and immerses himself in the things of God will be happy. But if he immerses himself in the things of the world, he will be unhappy. Acts 17, 28, speaking of God, says this, For in Him we live and move and have our being. And until we learn to worship God, folks, we're going to be like a fish in a tree or a bird in the ocean. Now, first of all, I want to talk about learning the true meaning of worship. So I think most people don't know the true meaning of worship. This woman didn't know the true meaning of worship. There is such a thing as vain worship. In Matthew chapter 15 verse 9, Jesus quoting Isaiah said this. Isaiah was talking about Israel. Jesus said, but in vain they do worship me teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. That's why it's so important to know the word of God. So we don't teach for commandments the doctrines of men. We teach the Word of God. We center on the Word of God. We focus on the Word of God. That's the only thing that's important here. My opinion means nothing. The Word of God's what's important. And we better listen to the Word of God. You see, there is such a thing as idolatrous worship. Idolatrous worship, we better be careful. See, somebody might worship the God of superstition or maybe God of substance or the God of success or the most convenient God there is, the God of self. I know what the Bible says, but I, well, guess what? We've just replaced God with self, with our opinion. Exodus chapter 34, verse 14 says, For thou shalt worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. We worship something other than God, folks. We're making God jealous. Amen. Isaiah 48, 11, For mine own sake, even for mine own sake, will I do it. For how should my name be polluted? And I will not give my glory to another. God says, I won't give my glory to someone else. I won't give my glory to that preacher. I won't give my glory to that individual, to that teacher, that church member, that deacon, that musician. God is to receive the glory from this service. Amen. And half-hearted worship. That's insincere worship. See, Jesus, again, quoting Isaiah, said of Israel, This people draweth nigh to me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their hearts far from me. That's insincere worship. Half-hearted worship. Half-hearted worship is an insult to Almighty God. When we come in here and we're worshiping half-heartedly, we're insulting our Heavenly Father. We just had this verse in Sunday school this morning. What is the first and great commandment? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart, all of thy soul, all of thy mind. In other words, God deserves not only the best we have, but every bit of the best we have. What does it mean to draw near to God with the mouth and honor him with the lips, but to have the heart far from him? Well, it's just this. We sing, oh, how I love Jesus. We like that song, don't we? Oh, how I love Jesus. I'm not going to do what he said to do. I'm not going to be a witness of him. I'm not going to live for him. But oh, how I love Jesus. No, that's insincere worship. Are we saying, I surrender all and can't even come back on Sunday night or Wednesday night to worship God? That is insincere worship. And then there's iniquitous worship. What is iniquitous worship? It's when we go to church. Or we fall on our knees at home in quote unquote worship of God, but there's sin in our hearts. We need to get rid of that sin in our hearts. Amos chapter 5 verse 21, here's what God said about Israel's attempt to worship with sin in their hearts. He said, I hate 
That's a strong word, isn't it? I hate, I despise your feast days, and I will not smell in your solemn assemblies. Though ye offer me burnt offerings and your meat offerings, I will not accept them. Neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beasts. Have you ever wondered how many times God has refused to accept the worship service of a church? See, we just sort of have the idea today, well, we're going to come and worship. God has to accept it. No, he doesn't. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him a certain way, in spirit and in truth. And in sincere worship, iniquitous worship, idolatrous worship, God does not accept. He goes on to say this, Take thou away from me the noise of thy songs, for I will not hear the melody of thy vials. But let judgment run down as waters, and righteousness as a mighty stream. God says, if you're not right with me, if there's sin in your heart, you come to worship me, I will not receive your worship. We better be right with God when we come eventually. I'm going to, I don't know whether I'm going to teach this as a series on Sunday night after we get through the 14th Psalm or if I'm going to bring another message on this and just have a series of messages on worship. But we get ready to come in here to worship, folks. We better prepare our hearts. Adrian Rogers used a phrase that I liked. He's talked about full churches of empty people waiting to overflow. No, we need to come in here full. We need to come in here with heart right with God. God will not hear us when we worship with sin in our hearts. And he says, even prayers that are offered in such a condition are an abomination to him. To worship God with an unclean heart is an abomination. We give offerings, but we have hatred in our hearts. We have sin in our hearts, and those hearts have not been made right. It is vain worship. Now, what is true worship? True worship is the adoring, I like this definition, the adoring contemplation of God revealed in the Lord Jesus. Isn't that great? I'll say it again. True worship is the adoring contemplation of God revealed in the Lord Jesus. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Everything we can know about God, learn about God is seen in the Lord Jesus Christ. And our English word worship comes from Old English, worth-ship. Worth-ship. We worship according to the worth we place on God. Have you ever thought about that? We worship according to the worth that we place on God. We worship what we feel is worthy of our worship. One of these days we're going to worship the right way. Revelation 5.12 saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. The way a person worships says a lot about what they think of God. Says a lot about their attitude toward God. Our worship life is a barometer of how much we love God and what we think of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we must have, understand the true meaning of worship, but we must also practice the true method of worship. And what does he say to this woman, this Samaritan woman? He said, We must worship God how? In spirit and in truth. Two vital elements. Years ago when I was in seminary, one of our instructors said, your final exam will be in this class for you to write a paper on the necessities of a worship service. The necessities of a worship service. Well, fortunately, I was aware of this verse. Because some people talk about how you've got to have a building, you've got to have a piano, you've got to have an organ, you've got to have a music director. You don't have to have any of those things to have a worship service. But you've got to have spirit and you've got to have truth. Okay? Those are absolutely necessary to 
a worship service. And what that is, is our spirit's directed by the Holy Spirit. And if it's directed by the Holy Spirit, it will always be according to the word of God, which is truth. But there are three things that must be in the proper order if we're going to have the right kind of worship service. And the first one is we must be regenerated by the Father. We must be regenerated by the Father. God is not your Father if you are not born again. Amen. There is a lie that has permeated this world called the universal fatherhood of God and brotherhood of man. No. God is the creator of all people, but he is not the father of all people. Jesus said to some in John 8, 44, he said, you're of your father the devil. See, that's who a lost person follows. That's who a lost person desires to follow. That's who a lost person is led by. You cannot worship a God you do not know. And if you do not know God through repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ and you're not his child, you can't worship him. This woman wanted to know what church is the right church. That's basically what she said. We say in this mountain is a place to worship. You Jews say Jerusalem is the place to worship. Where is the right place to worship? This is not her greatest need right at this moment. She is lost. She's going to hell. Her greatest need is to know Jesus Christ as Savior. Amen. I told the Sunday school class, you start trying to witness to somebody, they will try to get you off the subject. And this is one of the questions they'll use. Well, which is the right church? That's not important right now. Now after you're saved, it becomes important. But right now, the important question is, do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Amen. And if you don't know him as your Savior, you're not going to understand any of the rest of it. We need to learn to turn that conversation back and take control once again of that conversation when we try to witness to people. There are people that would rather argue religion than hear about their spiritual condition. If you don't know Jesus as Savior, you're lost, you're going to hell, you need to be saved. Jesus didn't debate the issue. He said salvation is of the Jews. He goes back to the issue at hand. So we need to learn to do that. And what he ultimately tells her in verse 21 and also in verse 24, there's coming a day in this mountain and at Jerusalem is not going to be the place to worship God. The heart is the place you're going to worship God. Amen. All true worship begins in the heart. See, we live in a time when many have the attitude, if we can just create enough excitement with a music program, if we can just create enough excitement about with a preacher getting excited, and this one does, and not to try to stir you up. I just get stirred up. I mean, I sit here over here while we're having a song service. I'm thinking, okay, hurry up. I got to go. I'm, I'm ready to preach, you know. We come in on Wednesday nights. I'm back there in the fellowship hall pacing. Let's, you know, let's get this started. <laughs> let's get on the road. I'm ready to share the word of God. But creating excitement with music, creating excitement with a man acting excited, that's not what does it. Worship begins in the heart and works outwardly. It does not begin outwardly and work into the heart. Amen. In the heart you worship God. So there must be regenerated by the Father, but you must be energized by the Spirit. I told that little joke earlier about the dead dry worship service. I don't ever want to have a service like that, folks. Now, I don't want us doing things that are unscriptural and acting silly and doing that sort of stuff either. No, I want us to be energized. Listen to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled. And that word filled means control. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. It's okay to sing along when we have these congregational hymns, okay? It's all right. I 
said, I, I got messed up on one of the verses earlier, and I sat there silently, and I could hear Brother Rick. That's it. <laughs> sing out. Oh, but I can't sing. The person sitting beside me may not like what they hear. Listen, if they don't like what they hear, they've got the problem. Amen. If you're singing from your heart, you're singing praise to God, don't worry about what anybody else says. Don't worry about what anybody else thinks. I don't. Look what they've done to me now. Usually they take all my hymnals away. Now I've got three books up here. <laughs> it doesn't matter whether you can sing or not, okay? Make a joyful noise to the Lord. You're not singing to the person sitting beside you, to Brother Rick or to me. You're singing to God. Amen. And listen, if your singing comes from your heart, it is beautiful to him. I can guarantee you that. I didn't mean to get off on singing, but there it was. We cannot worship God apart from being filled or being controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. Unsaved people can't worship God. People who are not spirit-controlled can't truly worship God. And listen to this. If you have no desire to worship, or you think worship is boring, I will suggest to you, you need to get alone somewhere and ask God to either show you that you're saved and backslidden, or that you're lost and need to be saved. Amen. If you're saved, you will desire to worship God. And then it must be regulated by the Word, in spirit and in truth. What is truth? That's an age-old question, isn't it? What is truth? John chapter 17, Jesus is praying. This is the Lord's prayer that he prayed prior to going to the cross, prior to going out into the Garden of Gethsemane and being betrayed and, and so forth. And Jesus prayed this for his disciples and he prayed it for us. And he says this, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. What is truth? It is the word of God. In spirit and in truth, led by the Holy Spirit, according to the Word of God. Psalm 145, 18, the Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon Him, to all that call upon Him in truth. I will guarantee you, if you will, from your heart, worship God in spirit and in truth, you will have a grand experience. Amen. You will have a wonderful experience. And we must also have, we've got the meaning of truth, we've got the method, we must also have the motive of true worshipers. Because look at what he says, God, this is verse 23, God seeks true worshipers. True, isn't it interesting that Jesus would say something like that? God seeks true worshipers. We do not go to church for what we can get, folks. We come to church for what we can give. Have you ever, don't raise your hand, don't answer, but have you ever left a service and said, I didn't get anything out of that? You know why you don't get anything out of it? There's about three or four, maybe five banks down this way. I only have money in one of them because my wife works there. So if I went to one of those others and walked in and said, I want $10,000, why did you laugh? I might have a secret a bank account that you don't know anything about. No. <laughs> if I walked into one of those others and said, give me some money, they'd probably be calling the police on me. We're being robbed, right? Why would they not give me money? Because I've never put anything in, so I can't get anything out. Now I can go to the bank where we have an account, and I can get some out. A little bit, not much, but some. 
You only get out what you give in. And we come to a worship service to give. And we really don't come to worship. We come to bring our worship, okay? I mean, worship's not sitting here in this building waiting for you to show up so it's going to jump on you real quick. No, we come to bring our worship before God and to worship God. See, if we've worshiped individually all through the week, and I hope you do, I pray that you do, but if we've worshiped individually all through the week, then we can come corporately together and combine that and have a wonderful worship service of God. You know why some people have trouble worshiping on Sunday? Because they don't worship during the week. Amen. You say, why? I'm, not, I'm supposed to sit at home and sing songs and have prayer. No, no, no. Just from your heart, worship God. Praise God. Thank God. Love God from your heart. That's worshiping God. But we don't do it during the week and we come to Sunday and we sort of, you've ever heard no pain, no gain? You know why you ache and you hurt after you exercise? Because you don't do it enough. Well, I'm talking to me too. My wife made me go to something last night and was playing some games. It was all fundraiser stuff and they did it for, for her bank and, and, and playing some games and I had to move around. I woke up this morning, my calves were sore and achy. Well, man, I mow yards and I walk around the house and I do, but I was doing something different, see? No pain, no gain. You don't worship during the week. It's painful to worship on Sunday sometimes, isn't it? Amen. See, here, there's a reason the Lord designed His churches to be local, visible bodies. So we can come, worship during the week, and then come together and bring that together on Sunday. And sadly, today in many churches, worship is viewed as a spectator sport. It's like it's a performance and the critics of the congregation... We're going to watch you perform, music director, and we're going to watch you perform, choir or singers or preacher or whoever, musicians. We're going to watch you perform, and we're going to pass judgment on how you perform, and we'll say whether or not we had a worship service. I tell you what, instead, the congregation, the performers, and God is the audience, and God is watching this right now. Amen. We're to come together as a united body, praising the Lord Jesus Christ and giving Him worship. And we're to do it in truth and in the leadership of the Holy Spirit. We're to give Him praise and we're to give Him glory. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, though, the Apostle Paul told a divided church. See, we come united and worship God. Because Paul told a divided church, the church at Corinth, they were divided over several issues. He said, you can't bring God glory, especially in observing Lord's Supper in this condition. You've got to be united. You've got to be together. And the Bible teaches corporate worship as well as individual worship. We're familiar with Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25. Well, let's look at verse 24 first. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. Now, we normally think of the word provoke as making somebody upset. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about provoke as encouraging, uplifting. Consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. The closer we get to the coming of Christ, the more we ought to be meeting together, encouraging one another. Some people, because they think we're living in the last days, and we are, are dropping out of church. No, you need it more. I need to know there are people that believe like I do, that love God like I do, no, worship God like I do. And I see them right before me this morning. 
There has never been a boring worship service. Do I need to repeat that? You say, preacher, I, uh, you've not been in some I've been in. No, there has never been a boring worship service. If you've ever been in a boring service, it was not a worship service. Amen. Because worship of God is not boring. What could be more thrilling? What could be more uplifting? What could be more energizing than to come together and to worship the God of eternity? the creator of the universe, the almighty God, and to lift our hearts in praise to him. Amen. I can't think of anything greater than that. There isn't anything more tragic than for people to go to church and to drink coffee and to fellowship and to laugh and to sing and to pat each other on the backs and all of that and then fail to remember the Lord Jesus Christ and to remember God and give them the glory that they deserve. Folks, God's great heart desire for us is our worship. Again, he created us for that purpose and he created us for fellowship together with us. And when we go to church, we're saying two things. Have you ever thought about this? And people drive by and they see a testimony out here in the parking lot. But when we go to church, we're saying two things to everyone that sees us. We're saying, first of all, God is important to me. God is important to me. And then we're saying this also my brothers and sisters in Christ are important to me too. I don't know how you feel, but I'm encouraged when you're here. And I'm a little bit discouraged when you're not. I love you. I love to see you. I love to shake your hand. I love to talk to you. You know, I'm probably going to get myself in trouble with this, but I stay there. I cannot be one of those pastors who shuts himself in his office till it's time to come out to the pulpit and preach. I love the people God has given me to pastor. And I love you, church. When we worship, it shows the work that we place on the Lord. And I'll say again, though you cannot worship God in spirit and in truth until he becomes your heavenly father. And there's only one way for him to become your heavenly father. And that is, if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ to save you, the only way for God to become your heavenly father is to recognize, first of all, that you're a sinner separated from God. That's the hardest thing for most people to do. For most people just to acknowledge, look, because most people say, I'm a pretty good person. Well, you may be, humanly speaking, but see, God sees the heart. And to say, I'm a sinner separated from God and I need to be saved. And I can't save myself. But to realize that God sent Jesus he came to this earth, he died on the cross, he was buried, he rose again, he ascended back into heaven, and he did that all that lost people might be saved. So if you turn to God and say, I'm a sinner, I can't save myself, but Lord, I'm asking you to save me, and I'm trusting the shed blood of Jesus, what he did on the cross, God will save you. And when that happens, he becomes your father. And now you can worship the father in spirit and in truth. And what about those of us who are saved? Do we have a real, deep, heartfelt desire to worship God? And not just go through, I said we can get into habits and just sort of go through habitual worship or go through spirit-led, spirit-filled worship. And that's what I want for this church.